Day 38, Part 1, posted September 20th, 2002, 4.12 a.m. The Badly Timed Discovery On occasions like today, I always dress a touch better than the usual t-shirt and jeans. Today I wore a nice shirt and jeans and my Blundstone boots, which are imported from Australia. My father-in-law absolutely adores my pair of Blundstones and says that they are just like Romeo's from back in the day. They were hand-delivered to me by an artist who was touring in Australia several years back, and at the time, they weren't being imported into the U.S. Now I see them all the time in stores, so if you go to purchase a pair for yourself, tell them Mixerman sent you, for I'm hopeful that the company will send me a free pair for my father-in-law. But I digress before I've even started. Today we were to be visited by the mooks, or the suits, or whatever the hell you want to call adults who attempt to make decisions on records that they can't possibly relate to. The visitation of mooks to a session such as this one is a bittersweet event, the sweet being that the producer or the studio will spring for a fantastic spread of wine, beer, cheese, fruit, antipasto, and some kind of wraps or sandwiches. Unfortunately, you have to eat this food and drink this wine with mooks, and therein lies the bitter part of the equation. These little shindigs are rebuilt to the record company, which ultimately will be paid back with bitch-slap royalties, further putting the band in debt. Of course, everyone pretends that it's a gift from the studio or the producer. The plan for today was simple. At 4 p.m., there would be a small listening party in which we would play the tracks we had completed while bitch-slap was on its cruise. This will be the first time in my career that I have attended a listening party of tracks that did not have a vocal on them. Like, who gives a shit what the instrumental came out like? If Johnny Frogthroat doesn't deliver a compelling vocal, the song is shot to hell. The vocal is money. It's like the cum shot in a porno movie. There's nothing more important than the vocal on songs like these. The idea of record company execs coming to hear tracks that have no vocals was preposterous to me. Regardless preposterous or not. This was the plan. My job today was nothing more than to be present, be personable, and hang out as everyone listened to the tracks and oohed and odd over them as if they were somehow destined to be hits. Then, after each track was played, enormous billows of smoke would be blown up the band's asses by the mooks, who would proceed to drink a bunch of wine, eat a bunch of cheese, and leave wondering why the hell we were making an instrumental record. When I arrived, I found Lance in the womb wearing a black-collared shirt buttoned up to his neck, which I promptly unbuttoned for him as he looked like a dork. He was obviously nervous, and I encouraged him to try to relax. That didn't make a bit of difference, so I grabbed a fatty from Willie's stash. Fatties were strewn about the control room like little misplaced and forgotten prizes. I gave Lance one of the misplaced fatties and told him to smoke it outside, which he did. Shortly after that, Jeremiah Weasel arrived. The track's hot. Am I going to love it? No, they suck and you're going to hate it, is what I wanted to say. But then I remembered that my job today was to be personable, as opposed to acting like a sarcastic asshole, no matter how deserving Jeremiah was for asking such a stupid fucking question. Hot. You're going to love it. I replied as unenthusiastically as I could. I heard you lay down some bitch and keys. Cool. Thanks, I replied with a smile, as I started to wonder if I was being too hard on him, lumping him in with the mooks. Fortunately, Willie walked in. Smoke, 
since I had already run out of things to talk about with Jeremiah. Willie hugged Jeremiah and then me, and then he turned around, slightly confused. Just then, Marvellus walked in. It's marvelous and amazing. Oh, there you are. Marv shook hands with me, and the three of them headed to the spread to get something to eat. I tagged along. Shorty Pants was there, billing up to the grub station. Where's Willie? Where's Willie? He was joined by two strangers, who I discovered through introductions were the band's publisher and the label's head of marketing. As I shook the marketing mook's hand, I was beginning to find this scene remarkably humorous. Why the hell would the head of marketing be at an instrumental listening party halfway through the album? This was ludicrous. The band arrived in the same stretched limo that took them away for their cruise. As each member of Bitch Slap stepped out of the car, I couldn't help but start chuckling. These guys looked like Latin lovers who had just spent a weekend in a tanning booth. I figured I could cross off Alaska as the possible cruise destination. Johnny Smarmy was looking particularly odd. If you love me like I love me, baby, we could fall in love. If you love me like I love me, we could fall in love. with his super bright bleached white teeth contrasted with his ultra-dark complexion. The therapy sessions must have done them good, because it seemed as if they were friendly to one another again. Or perhaps it was having a bunch of days off, as that always helps renew one's spirits. Once everyone had gotten their fill of food and drink, the entire party shifted to the womb. Lance was there, waiting to play the songs. I'm Lance. Everything's gonna be all right. Willie had given Lance an order to play the songs, and without much fanfare, that's what he did. Jeremiah was bopping like a 14-year-old at his first big rock show as the music blared from the large monitors. While I usually find the big monitors in a control room to be totally useless for any kind of critical listening, they do seem to impress the A&R mooks. I generally work on the little speakers posted on the meter bridge of the console. But when the A&R mook wants to hear the songs, the big speakers are very handy for turning the event into the big rock show. Though OSHA isn't too keen on long exposures to 100 plus dB, no one from OSHA happened to be in the womb at this particular moment. Marv sat in front of the console along with the head of marketing and Harmonino. Johnny Rockin' was standing between the couch and the catch-all counter along with Dumbass and Polly Yore. I always try to stand in a spot where I can see everyone in the room but won't necessarily be noticed myself. I like to watch everyone's reactions during playback as it tells me a lot about the person. Marv was performing body movements to the first song that were nothing short of stylistically unsuitable for the music. Far be it for me to criticize someone for how he or she physically reacts to music. 
but Marv was moving his body in a way that I would describe as slinky. They were the kind of movements that I would expect to see if we were listening to an R&B song. Slinky was not the body movement I typically see for a pseudo-punk, everyman-type song. This was the sort of song that one bops one's head to and raises one's fists. Further confusing the issue, Marv would, without warning, make this bold, sort of spastic, jerky move as if he were being stung by bees, and then immediately return to Slinky. Consequently, I tried not to watch him, as I was afraid that I was going to go into laughing fits. Johnny was bopping super hard to the music with Jeremiah, and they were high-fiving each other constantly, which was making me want to puke. Harmon Nino and Paul Yor weren't moving at all, and they both wore scowls on their faces that I could see in the reflection in the glass. Shorty Pants was as deadpan as could be, and I doubt he could have given two shits about the music. After the first song finished, Marv looked over to Willie with a big smile. Oh, man! Willie, that was great. I can't wait to hear the vocal on that track. On Willie's suggestion, Johnny Crooner began to sing the songs live as they played down so that Marv and the marketing group could hear what the vocal would be like. Lance played the next two songs, which were the songs that we had already successfully fooled Harmon with. Then Lance played the fourth song. This was the song that Lance had taken some serious liberties with in his bass parts. It was also the moment of truth. For thus far in the playback, Harmon did not seem to be anywhere close to enjoying himself. As this new and improved version of the production played, demonstrating techniques and bass yet unrealized by Harmon, containing guitar tones currently unheralded by Eeyore, and presenting all manner of miscellaneous, unapproved instrumentation played with skill miles beyond the capabilities of anyone actually in Bitch Slap, I had that awful sinking feeling that one usually acquires moments before everything goes awry. Harmon and Eeyore were obviously getting far more than they had bargained for. Before the playback of this particular song had even made it to the first chorus, Harmon unceremoniously stood up from his chair at the console. Without a word, or even a nonverbal suggestion, he strode deliberately to the back of the room and, with his right index finger extended, pressed upon the stop button. The music abruptly halted. Where the fuck did that bass part come from? I didn't play that shit! You guys had someone come in and play fucking bass on my song? The vibe in the room suddenly became extremely heavy. Willie shot a horrified look over to Shorty Pants. I instantly knew what had happened. The agreement that Willie had made for using a session bass player was obviously made with Shorty Pants, but somehow, this was never relayed to Harmon. It was a blunder or perhaps a miscommunication of epic proportions. Either way, the result would be the same. And where the hell are my parts? Eeyore piped in. 
Ay, ay, ay. This was turning into a nightmare and fast. Marvellus decided to step in. Look, guys, it sounds fantastic. You're going to be stars. Girls are going to just walk up and give you blowjobs. So it's been enhanced a little. So what? Look at the big picture. Then Willie spoke. I'm sorry, Harmon. I thought you knew that this is what we'd be doing. You're an incredibly great and strong songwriter, but we really need some extra special bass parts for your music to stand out. Lance is an excellent bass player. Lance? Lance? You gotta be fucking kidding me! Our assistant played the bass on our record? Whoops. I am hopeful that the editors of the New England Journal of Medicine don't read this diary. Or listen to it, for that matter. For I would hate to be the one to supply irrefutable evidence that excessive fatty smoking makes it difficult to concentrate on such things as not telling the bass player that the assistant on the album replaced all his parts. The room went silent for what I would guess was about 60 seconds, but seemed nothing short of an eternity. Then Harmon spoke again, and his words were nothing short of profound to me. To be continued. Mixer Man.